Speak to us now, O Lord, we pray. Speak to our souls today. Well, this is why we've come, dear Lord, and we're ready for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God, your word will forever last. We're ready for your word. Father, we pray now that all that is said and all that is done will be pleasing in your sight. Bring glory and honor to you. Edify your people. Horrify and terrify the devil. That we would be changed by the life-giving power of the word of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The statistics are alarming to think about. In COVID, 200 churches every week close their doors. 200 churches a week. 10,000 churches plus a year were closing their doors. And some that didn't close needed to close. Now, somebody may ask, how, how can a church close its doors? Um, I was blown away when I would read magazine articles talking about how churches on the East Coast had been closed and developers turned those church buildings into apartment complexes and condos. And I was thinking, man, how, how could a church get to the place of irrelevancy? So much so that a city that is filled with people would see a greater need for housing than for a house of God. Like, like what's happened in our world, and, and I'm, I'm convinced that, that the problem is not with God, y'all. The problem is not with God. The problem is with those of us who represent God. We, we have been pushed to a place now where cultural Christianity is no longer accepted. In other words, people are not going to church because they were raised in church because now we're in the second and third generation of young people who never went to church. See, when I was a kid, right, um, I tell people all the time I had a drug problem because I got drugged to church. When my father became a Christian, he was like, he didn't care what we were doing. No, you go to church tomorrow. You go to church. Stay out all night at party, all night if you want to. But in the morning, we go to church and you go to Sunday school because I'm the Sunday school teacher. Some of y'all laughing because you had a drug problem too, right? And then, and then something happened. Something happened. We turn the raising of our children over to themselves. Like all of a sudden, kids started getting opinions that mattered. Right? I, 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 tell, I tell my niece and nephew, it's not like we didn't have opinions. They just didn't matter. You say something stupid, you didn't have 10,000 people on the internet liking your stupid statement. That you, you just, I'm stupid, your grandmama, your granddad said, man, boy, sit down somewhere. Children should be seen and not heard. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. And I know now that's not politically correct. We'd be like, oh my God, it's going to damage their psyche. 
And in this age of participation trophies, where we award children for just showing up, This group now says, look, I, I go to church for what? Go to church for what? I mean, we had a parent who withdrew her five-year-old because she said he didn't like it. I'm like, when a five-year-old get to tell you what he like and don't like, and it matters. Now, here we are looking at the church, and it's dying. It's at, a, it's at a point of death like it's never been at before. But I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, we need the church more now than ever. But we need the church to be the church. We, we need it to be not what we created it to be, but what God intended it to be. And I submit to you that we've gotten so far off track in terms of what God wants the church to be that it's hard to recognize the church of Jesus Christ in the church of our day. Today I want to continue and conclude our series entitled A Ministry That Makes the Difference, right? How to minister to make a difference. Now, when I use that topic, Here's what I want you to realize. Whenever the New Testament talks about church, it's never talking about building. It's always talking about people. And it's always referring to individuals that make up the body of Christ, the church. Now, I want us to walk through Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. And I'm going back over it because, one, I want you to understand how deep and how rich the word of God is. Everything that God is calling us to do, it's right here in the word. So I want you to know I'm not making this up. I want you to be able to connect the dots so that you can see what you can do to be the church instead of just focusing on coming to church. Here's the first thing. And, and really, hit, write this down somewhere, because I want to share with you four essentials in ministry to help somebody walk with Jesus. Four essentials. See, see, if we really believe that knowing the Lord as your Savior is better than not knowing the Lord, then the question is, how are we going to help people walk with the Lord? So here's the first thing. Number one, you must give benevolence to others. You must give benevolence to others. Uh, the text says, Peter and John, going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, a man who was lame from birth, who was carried and brought to the daily, brought daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, he was placed there to ask for alms. Verse 3 says, Peter and John go to the temple, they're going to pray. The man sees them, he asks for alms. Peter looks at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And then Peter says that famous statement, silver and gold I have none, but such as I have give I thee. Now, here's what's interesting. Even though Peter and John did not have 
the material resources, they still understood they had an obligation to give. Many times we don't give what we can because we're focusing on what we can't or what we won't give. It's amazing to me how many times in life we get stuck focusing on either or instead of looking for the both and. Benevolence, when I talk about benevolence, I'm not talking about finances only. I'm talking about being a blessing to somebody else. Being benevolent to somebody. Listen to me carefully. Each one of us in our Christian walk have an obligation to be benevolent. That doesn't mean you always do what people want you to do. That doesn't mean I'm saying you have to be a doormat. What I am saying, though, is that you should be a blessing. You should never leave people worse than when you found them. What's the commitment that we're making? Anybody we come in contact with, we want to add value and not take value away. We want to add value to their person. We want to encourage them. And sometimes, can I tell you something, brothers and sisters? Sometimes we miss it. I mean, we just flat out miss it. When do we miss it? We miss it when we make it about ourselves. We miss it when we hear something and we take it personally and we make it about us instead of focusing on what the main thing really is. We lose sight. And the Lord says, we have to learn how to be benevolent. Don't overvalue what you can't do and undervalue what you can do. Don't miss the fact that God has blessed you to be a blessing. Don't miss the fact that every pain that you have experienced in life is part of your ministry toolkit to be a blessing to somebody else. He says, be a blessing. And and here's the thing that I've learned in life. Sometimes we're so busy trying to pretend like we've never gone through anything that we forget what we have gone through has prepared us to be used by God in the most effective way possible. Listen, if you had to go through a divorce, that's the opportunity for you to encourage somebody who may be finding themselves in that situation, right? You're a widower. Man, you can bless somebody, encourage somebody. You're a single parent. You can help somebody else. You've been on this single life for a long time. You can encourage somebody else. You can be a blessing out of your experiences. And I love what the text reminds me. It reminds me that even if you don't have something to give, you still have someone you can give. Even when I don't have stuff, I still have a savior that I can share. Uh, Go. uh, Oh, here's here's write this down somewhere. Give a person a fish. Give a person a fish. We're going to start right there. Right. Bless them. Give them a fish. All right. I'm going to build on it. Just stay right there. Give a person a fish. Here's the second thing. Number two, you not only must give benevolence to others, you must give empowerment to others. Everybody say empowerment. Empower Empower others. Uh, P. 
Peter says, I have no silver, verse 6, and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. But look at verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter said stand. But Peter reached down and helped him stand. Some of y'all missed it. It's not enough to say it if you're not going to show it. Peter said stand in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and then he helped him get up. Watch what he did. Peter touched the untouchable to help the untouchable do the unthinkable. Okay. Watch this. You haven't always been where you are. Somebody somewhere along the journey reached down and touched you. They put their hands on you. They spoke kind words into your spirit. They, they encouraged you. They loved you. Now watch this. Everybody didn't do that for you. Everybody didn't reach down and touch you. Everybody didn't try to encourage you. As a matter of fact, there were some folk who were not happy to see you sore. They were not happy. See, you, you had some people who would say things like, oh, you think you're better than us now. Oh, you think you all that. Oh, you ain't got time for your friends no more. Right? The Bible says that Peter empowered this man. Would he have been able to get up and stand on his own? Probably. But watch this. He had been lame all his life. Which means what? Peter was encouraging him to do what he had never done before. And Peter recognized, if I'm asking you to do what you've never done before, at least let me help you make the first step in doing what you've never done before. He said, let, let, me, let me help you. For your ministry to make a difference, you just can't talk it. You've got to walk it. You've got to help people do what they would not be able to do on their own. Here's the truth of the matter, y'all. It's easier to give money and walk away than it is to give encouragement and assistance and stay there and make it happen. That's why James said you got to add some work to your faith. You got to add some work. Come on, look at James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works 
and I will show you my faith by my works. What are you willing to do to put your faith into action to change someone's life? What must we be willing to do as a church? Okay, I told you, give a person a fish, right? Okay, we're going to empower them. Here's the next step. Teach the person to fish. Okay, I got two more points. Stay with me. So, so we're going to give fish, and we're going to do what second? We're going to teach people how to fish. All right, watch the third thing. Number three, in order to minister to make a difference, you must be committed to equipping others. You've got to equip others. The Bible says, and leaping up, verse 8, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Peter says, rise and walk. And this man adds, leaping and praising God to the occasion. Peter not only encouraged him, but he gave him the tools he needed to do what he previously was unable to do. This anonymous lame man was completely changed because he met someone who was able and willing to help him do better. And he helped him do better. Watch what happened to the man. His attitude changed. His life changed. His whole being changed. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no more guilt, no more hurt, no more rejection, no more shame. He is standing, he is walking, he is leaping, he is praising God because he has been changed from the inside out. Here's a question. What tools and resources do we need to help people do all that God created them to be? Uh, what are you willing to do to empower and equip somebody to get up as opposed to enabling them to stay down? What, what are we willing to do? Uh, look at Ephesians 4 verses 11 and 12. Let's read it together. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And that idea of equipping, I'm going to talk about that in, in the coming weeks, but that idea of equipping is putting tools in people's hands to help them be successful. Benevolence, we give a person a fish. Empowerment, we teach them how to fish. When we equip them, we give them a fishing pole and help them get to the water. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. Come on, it's not enough to teach a person to fish and you don't give them a pole. You don't take them to the water. But you claim you taught them how to fish? Guess what you end up with? Somebody who's still going to need for you to give them fish. Here's the last thing. Number four, 
you must practice advocacy for others. Everybody say advocacy. Advocacy. Advocacy is not an easy thing to do, y'all, because it takes a commitment of your time, a commitment of your talent, and a commitment of your treasure to be an advocate. Typically, you advocate for people who can't speak for themselves, whose voice is not loud enough to be heard by the people who benefit from them being in that position that you found them in. Watch what happens, verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? Now, now that word clung, I referred to last week, it literally means to use your strength to grab hold of, to seize hold of somebody. This man grabbed hold of Peter because watch this. The people who walked by him when he was at the gate were running to him after he got healed. He's at the temple gate begging. He's at Solomon's porch rejoicing. They come in to see what was going on with this man. Now we're not told What was the intention of them coming and surrounding this man? We don't know if it was good or bad. But here's what I will tell you. And I think most of you would agree with me. When you get up and start walking, everybody that comes to you is not excited about your deliverance. When God blesses you, when God heals you, when God delivers you, everybody is not excited about your deliverance. First of all, you got a crowd. Remember, misery loves company. See, watch this. When this man got up and started leaping and praising and running, what did the other folks sitting by the gate say? You think they were excited? Can, can you imagine one of them saying something like this? I guess we ain't going to see you no more, huh? <laughs> oh, I guess you too good now to be sitting at the gate with us anymore, huh? You think you better than us now, huh? And the truth is, he's not better. He's just blessed. And he's walking in his blessings. Listen to me carefully. Everybody in here, if you've ever made a decision to walk in the blessings that God has provided for you, you have already experienced this truth that when you walk in your blessings, you're going to have to walk away from some people. Matter of fact, let, 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 me, let me really meddle today. Some of y'all are not walking in your blessings because you're not willing to walk away from some folks. 
and you still trying to appease some folk who are not going anywhere. Help me, Holy Ghost. You still trying to please some folk who are determined they not going. So you not going, not because you can't go, but because you don't want to leave them behind. This man is healed and Peter and John, they allow this man to cling to them because they made a commitment to walk with the one whose life had been changed in the name of Jesus. And they became his advocates. They became his advocates. Look at Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, let's read it together. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Please circle that word patience. Because we love patience when somebody is exercising it towards us. But how many of you know we can get impatient with other folks? even though they may be going through what we just came out of. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul. Save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What's the first thing I said? First point. I was going to say it's not a trick question. You got outlines, don't you? <laughs> it's an open book quiz. Come on, y'all. <laughs> What's the first thing I said? Benevolence. Benevolence, we do what? We give a person a fish. Second thing. Empowerment. What do we do in empowerment? Teach the person to fish. Third thing. What is it? Equipping, and what do we do with the third thing? Give them a pole and take them to the water. Here's the fourth thing advocacy. Here's what we do we make sure the person has access to clean water so when they go to fish, they can eat the fish that they get out of the water. See, that old saying that bad times are good times for somebody? I think about a man who was in prison. He had been wrongfully convicted, had spent something like 19 years locked up. His sentence, his conviction had been overturned. Uh, evidence had been withheld that would have exonerated him. And as he's leaving the prison, and you know this man must have been godly in some way. He said, as he's leaving the prison, he says, one of the guards says to him, we'll keep the door open for you. Because we know you're going to come back. Wait a minute, he was innocent. He was innocent. 
And then the man went on to say, and if you don't come back, send somebody back because I got a boat I need to pay for. Woo, now you know some of y'all would have went right back in that cell. <laughs> You'd be like, I'm going back in on assault. Yeah, just give me my stuff back. <laughs> How do we advocate for folk? How do we speak for people who are not able to speak for themselves? Because guess what? We haven't always been able to speak for ourselves. Somebody had to speak for us. Now the question is, who will you speak for? Who will you be benevolent to? Who will you bless? Who will you equip? How will our church equip people? How will our church empower people? How will our church be advocates for people? Because to me, that's a ministry that makes a difference. Advocacy means I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you through the storm and through the rain. I'm going to walk with you through the trials and tribulations. I'm going to walk with you through the challenges. I'm going to walk with you even when I tell you what you should do and you decide to do something else. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop walking with you. That just means I'm going to wait for you to come back over here. But I'm going to keep walking with you. I'm going to keep walking with you. I'm going to keep calling you. Even if you don't answer my call, I'm going to keep calling you. I'm going to keep texting you. I'm going to stay on you. I am going to be your advocate. I'm going to prove to you that I am on your side, even if you don't see that I'm on your side. And here's my prayer. My prayer is, y'all, listen, if, if, if we ever became this kind of church, y'all, I, 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 I would just die and go straight to hell. I'm, not, I'm just telling you. Can I say it like I want to say it? We, we dress up so nicely and we clean up so nicely when we come to church that we pretend we've never been out there. Like, like we, 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 we pretend that our sin is more acceptable than somebody else's. And, and the truth of the matter is, some of us look so good, we don't look like we ever sinned. I mean, come on now, y'all. We be perpetrating. We be like, like, I always been like this. And that's only because your private side hasn't been made public yet. But here's, here's my hope. Here's my dream. My dream is that a person comes down this aisle and they say they want to give their life to the Lord. And man, they're an alcoholic. And all of the converted alcoholics say, we got you. We got you. Know where you are. That, that a prostitute comes off the street and instead of somebody looking at her coming down the aisle, talking about, ooh, what a shame. She ain't got no friends. Ain't nobody taught her how to dress when you come to church. When she come to give her life to the Lord, that all the former hoes say, I got you, baby. We got you. We got you. <laughs> baby, I know where you are. I know where you are. I know where you are.
that we would be so real. Everybody say real. real. That we would be so real that people would know. Listen, the Bible says when Jesus went in and cleaned up the temple, that the blind, the lame, and the sick came, but it was only after the temple was cleared. And they found healing there. But watch this. If we're so busy trying to pretend that we've always been whole, then nobody who walks in would know that they could find healing for their soul. So here's my prayer. And this is the path we're on. We're going to become the church that the Lord has called us to be. But that's only going to happen when you become the person that God has called you to be. Because if you're not committed to becoming what God wants you to be, then you're going to mess everything else up. We got to go together to open up our arms, to be benevolent, to empower, to equip, and to advocate for people so their God-given potential can be given birth to. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. Um, I thank you for uh, the difficulty, the challenge of this message. But my prayer is, God, that all under the sound of my voice would recognize that we need a real relationship with a real God. That, that we need to stop playing church and stop pretending church and start being the church that you have called us to be. God, when we look at the New Testament, we see hurting people coming and finding healing. We find broken people who are coming and they're finding wholeness. We're finding downtrodden people who are being uplifted. But now in the church, God, we pray, we come playing like we've always been up and we've never been down. We come playing that we've never been broken so we can't testify to the fact that God can heal. We come pretending like we've always been on the right road so we can't even testify that knowing Jesus would turn your life around. Help us, God, to be real with you, to be real with ourselves, so that you can be glorified and that somebody else can walk in these doors and say, this is a place I need to be because I need a real God in my life to help me deal with the real problems that I face every day of my life. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.